Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 95th episode of the Truth Island podcast. Of human virtues, patience is most great, is often attributed to the Roman writer Cato the Elder. In today's society, we are filled with a lot of mixed messages. On one hand, we are told that patience and delayed gratification remain the keys to living a successful life. We are told to get an education, not to rush into marriage, wait until we have kids, and that a worthwhile career can take decades to fully formalize. On the other hand, our money-making instant result culture also fills us with cliches such as strike when the iron is hot, or in just about every action movie, you've probably heard the line, well, what are you waiting for? As a, means of, as a means of prompting the protagonist into action. In many ways, our culture is extremely paradoxical, where we tell people to be patient and wait in line for their time in the spotlight in one breath, but then in the very next second, we criticize someone who isn't aggressive enough as being a slacker or not a real go-getter. Indeed, patience, much like anything, has its time and place. But at other moments, it's the early bird who catches the worm. Joining me to figure out when exactly we are standing at either a green or red light, I am once again joined by Sam. Sam, when you're going through a yellow light, do you start slowing down or do you just like rush on through? (laughs) Man, uh, great question. (laughs) Are there any police officers listening to this podcast? Um, It. It depends. I think um, my time in Latin America uh, probably would make me more inclined to slow down. I'm in Colombia right now in South America. And one of people's favorite things to say to me as uh, an obvious gringo is uh, the Spanish word tranquilo, or which basically just means chill out relax because i'll i'll apologize for not speaking english or spanish sorry or uh, apologize for not knowing something about the culture or whatever and or just be moving too quickly in general or talking too fast you know trying to get my point across and uh so i've heard that just countless times and um I think uh, it's been, I've, I've noticed even just a general kind of mellowing where it's like, I do need to, you know, exercise caution and um, slow down instead of speed up through an intersection. But you're right. I think this has been, this is the tension of our culture and it's the tension of, um, it's the tension of my personality. I grew up in a, in a home. One of my, the favorite Bible verses was from the book of Ephesians in the New Testament chapter five, where it's like, redeem the time redeem the time. My grandma said that all the time. My dad said that all the time. It was like, you know, make things happen now. Don't waste any time. There shouldn't be any idle time. There's no sense of process or deliberation. Make decisions now, Um, you know, seize the day, seize the moment um, and, and, and be, be a person of action, you know? Mm. And so, and so patience was not a virtue growing up. Um, It's, you know, process, the idea of like, process and being in process personally wasn't a virtue. It wasn't something we, we talked about or understood. So I've really had to, um, to learn some of these, uh, these virtues in my adulthood. No, I think, I, I, I think you're tapping into some wonderful stuff that we can talk into living in New York right now. Um, 
they have really gone crazy with the cameras here. So if you are caught with a red light, like there's so many cameras that are flicking off and you're going to get like that $50 ticket. So I'm definitely slowing down at my yellow lights and making sure that I'm not going through there. And I think it's a good analogy. I think, you know, yellow and red lights is a good analogy for this entire freaking year. Okay. I think this is one of the um, slowest years that we've had in recent memory. And I've noticed that other years have gone by so quickly, so darn quickly. Were we moving through? We were rushing from place to place, appointment to appointment, bar to bar, restaurant to restaurant, show to show. Um, and that's just like the New York, especially in the New York region, that's life. It's really hyper fast, hyper quick. Our subways uh, don't move the quickest, but they can get you, they can get you around pretty quickly, you know, compared to other systems. And this year has really been a, a screeching halt, right? It's been a, it's been a, it's been a year of I, I call it the year of the philosopher because it's been a year of deep uh, contemplation, and I think that there are times in our life where we, we need we need to be contemplative, and I, I think that that's that's very important. And I think I think that if we think about different times in our life. Maybe there, maybe your grandma's right that maybe there is time where it's like, hey man, put down that video game controller. Now's the time for action, right? And I think there are clear moments where your grandma is 110% right, where we need to we need to strike. But then there are other times where I, I think the universe is saying, whoa, slow down there, slow down. And I, I think we could talk a little bit about when are moments that we should strike when the iron's hot and when are moments that we kind of need to collectively slow down? I love that line that this is the year of the philosopher, and by the way, I'm going to use that. <laughs> I think that's perfect. And I, I think that's well said. Um, you know, I think a lot of people have had to confront with their dark side this year, you know, the dark side of their relationships with their family or their spouse or themselves or their job. And um, that's very philosophical. Um, that's theological too. It's anthropological. So it is the year of the philosopher. We have we're, we've sort of been forced into a place of contemplation. And um, yeah, I think um, I think that this conversation goes back to some of our earlier podcasts. You know, month, even a couple months ago when we first started first started this process you know when you asked me about contentment and how how unnaturally i i sort of come to the the topic of contentment it's not something that i like talking about and it it, it taps into uh deep fomo which i think is generational for people our age a deep fear of missing out on what everybody else is doing instagram i think personally feeds that flame for me um, I see the amazing things that people are doing and the amazing girlfriends and boyfriends that people have and food that they're eating and, you know, whatever. And it's like, it just prompts this feeling of I've got to do more. Um, so to me, patience and contentment are sort of twin virtues. If they're not siblings, they're cousins and they're connected. Um, I still don't have the secret, but I, I'm probably more aware every day, every week, every month, every year, how, how foreign those, those concepts are to me in a genuine way. 
mm-hmm. and how much I want to cultivate, how much I still want to cultivate them. What you're saying gets me thinking, and I'm going to kind of speak about my own experience prior to COVID and now living, you know, in, in the COVID era. Um, I, I think prior to COVID, I did a lot of stuff, Sam, not necessarily bad stuff, but I went out a lot and I did a lot of things without actually asking myself the fundamental question, why am I doing this? Like, why am I meeting these friends right now? Why, why am I going here? And I'll, I'll give you a very basic routine that I used. This was something I used to do uh, before COVID. We, my girlfriend and I would actually hop in the car and we would drive all the way to a, um, a, a sports club that was located all the way in like Whitestone. And then we would go to one of these fancy grocery stores. We'd go to like, a, I think it was like a stop and shop. And, you know, it was huge. Like they had all of this like tomato, all of this stuff, right? And what happened was, is that this was a part of our routine, right? It was just like, hey, this is how we spend our Sunday. And we thought we were being productive. We thought, hey, look how much, look how much out and about stuff we're doing. We're, we're going here, we're going to a cool little cute diner. Um, and then we're going to this fancy grocery store and we spent like a ton of money on like a lot of groceries and and, and we were, and we, we, we deluded ourselves and said, man, oh man, like they have all the right stuff at this grocery, right? And what happened? COVID put an end to that entire lifestyle. Just just put an end to this whole going and and, and spending a lot of time out. And basically our lives changed where all we do is go to key food right now that's like two blocks away from where we live. And guess what, Sam? Everything that you need is right there. Everything that I could possibly want is freaking at that key food. I don't need to go uh, drive anywhere to some fancy grocery store to get like a special organic tomato. And that's, that's the virtue of patience. And that's the virtue of kind of slowing down. Because I think in all of our lives, we were running around and doing a lot of stuff. And the reason we were doing it is because we were impulsive and we were impatient. We didn't want to miss out. We wanted Instagram moments. We wanted Facebook memories. We want all of these things. So we were like scattered chickens with no heads running around creating what we considered to be iconic memories. When in actuality, all that we needed was right there within like a two block radius from, 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 you know, at least in my case, everything I need is like two or three blocks away from my house. There's nothing, there's nothing that I need beyond that. And it's given me, it's given me an appreciation for what was always in front of me. I, I think that, you know, this past year I've learned to appreciate my girlfriend so much more than I did before. I think I was less appreciative of my girlfriend prior to COVID because she was right there in front of my face, but maybe, maybe it didn't, the running around did not force me to interact with that as much. It's funny you bring up key foods or key food because um, I had a similar experience when I lived in New York uh, for three months this past fall, I was living in East village and there are are, are not one, but two Trader Joe's within (laughs) a walking distance of East village, which is crazy to me because I've lived most of my life in the hinterlands of America, the the interior where Trader Joe's and, and things like that, like that really spell like civilization and like millennial, the millennial <laughs> dream, you know, like those things were far away. Like most of my life I've lived in rural Iowa and rural 
Illinois, I was in rural Illinois and rural Missouri and, 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 and rural Georgia. And it's like all these rural small town places and even, even towns the size of Chattanooga, you know, and, uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, like don't have Trader Joe's. And so I was like, okay, I'm in the East village and I've got two Trader Joe's. OMG. My mind was exploding, you know, <laughs> and, but I like, I kind of got into the routine and, and then I was like, you know what? I, I, I had new goals. I was trying to live a little bit more cheaply, save a little bit of money, you know, just in case I wanted to go to South America for six weeks, you know, something like that. But I was like, my new goals were to live a little bit more in a more thrifty, resourceful way. And I went to Trader Joe's a couple of times. The lines were just out the door (laughs) and it's not expensive, but I was like, I don't really need to be here. And so I ended up just going to key food and you know, I'm sure there's somebody going to listen to this podcast and be like, wait a second, key food and Trader Joe's. I mean, which one's cheaper? They're probably, I don't know. But the point is like, we don't need as much as we think sometimes. And I was really content just living kind of like a more basic, truly genuinely basic life by going to, to, to the key food instead of one of the two Trader Joe's. And, and I think that's part of the reason, like I'm, doing what I'm doing. I've had so many people in Colombia ask me like, where's your luggage, man? And they always ask me in Spanish, you know, where's your luggage? And I'm like, I actually don't have any luggage, (laughs) (laughs) which is hilarious to people. They're just like, what? And, and I, and they're like one guy who spoke pretty good English is like, you have to explain to me, like, what, what is, what are you doing? Like, what's going on here? And I like gave him more context. I was like, well, actually I, this is a bigger, there's more context to this in my whole life. I'm actually kind of going through this period of downsizing and min- minimizing and, and, and all this, this stuff. And he's like, but, but why, like, what are you hoping to discover from this experience? And, and I've, I've actually come to describe it as an experiment because you kind of have to figure out ways of explaining things in, in a few words. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's like my way of trying to explain why I only have one outfit and no luggage is that I'm doing an experiment. And they're like, <laughs> what are you, what are you learning? What are you hoping to learn from this experiment? And I think the answer is that I'm trying to learn how little I can actually get by on, you know? And I think that plays into what you're saying too. And what, what's amazing about your experiment, Sam, is that it takes patience because the, the lesson learned, the virtue that's gained from this experiment is not going to be apparent on day two. It's only after a while you start learning like, geez, I don't really need this. Geez, I don't really need that. Right. And all of this stuff requires investment. It requires you to to stick on track. It, It requires you not to give up and not, not just be as whimsical. Like not not be so whimsical and just constantly changing your ideas of what you're doing every five seconds. There's something, there's a very good, I'm paraphrasing, but there's a very good idea that Warren Buffett has. And Warren Buffett describes himself as not being a day trader, meaning he's not just trying to trade stocks every single day and and like short this and do, you know, like what he says is that I when I trade. I make sure that it's right. And I make sure I believe in the company and I I make sure that I believe in what, in what I'm investing in. So I move extremely slowly. Like, like I'm, I'm a very, I'm a slow mover. If I, I do my, I do my due diligence and I make sure that I am going to be with this company for the long game, not the short game, the long game. And I think that 
that's how you get to be successful is by playing, mapping things out for the long game. And that requires a great deal of patience. And I think that an, ep an episode I really liked that I did with my friend Alexander is we said a lot of, a lot of our society encourages us to make you know, five-year plans or three-year plans or whatever it is. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You need to be making 80-year plans. So you need to be actually making plans for the really, really long haul and ask yourself, what the hell is it that I want to get out of this thing called life? And that requires a lot of patience. And even like I would argue, Sam, it is better to sit in your apartment and do nothing for six months and then say to yourself, what is it that I really want to get out of this thing and then proceed forward than never taking that six months and just jumping to the next job or the next, you know, the next thing that just basically falls in your lap. I think, I think before COVID, everybody just did whatever it is that fell into their lap. They just, whatever fell into their lap, they just did, okay, this is the next chapter in my life, as they would say. But I think this has actually taught us, you know what, if you can hunker in your apartment for a while, think about things, let it sit. And then, and then, and only then when you've decided what is the right course of action, then you, move, you may move forward. Yeah, I, I was a pastor in Iowa for three years, as you know, Aaron, in small town Iowa, which is predominantly older uh, people. And um, I remember on my 30th, a couple of weeks after my 30th birthday, I did a funeral for an 80, 80 year old man and he had just turned 80 and I had just turned 30 and then he died. And I was thinking, wow, 50 years, like that's not that much. I mean, if I add 20 to what I've already lived and then add it to what I've already lived, I'm at 80, you know? So it's like not that much. Um, and as time goes on, times, times, time goes faster. I think my three years in Iowa, it's hard to know, you know, all the reasons if you will, God took me there, <laughs> um, but, but to the will, to the wilderness of the prairie, but, uh, I, I'm glad I came into contact with, with older people. You know, I got to the point where it was like, yeah, you can't even really begin to talk about age until you're 75. I mean, 75 to 95 was kind of like this, the wheelhouse for everybody. And then it was like, you can't really talk about real old age until you're 95. And that, that changes your perspective on mortality and the shortness of life and the brevity of things. Um, and I was, I was kind of glad for that. And, and it taught me about the long game in, in that, in those, in those terms, because I'm not good at creating the five-year plan. I've never been super good. And maybe it's just, I haven't really forced myself to think in those terms. Um, but, but the, sort of my time in Iowa helped me think more in those terms, at least in a longer range way. I was also really glad for the conversation you and I had the week of my, I got COVID and then that following week, um, you know, you and I talked, we didn't do a podcast cause it was Thanksgiving, but we talked and I was really glad for it because you just reminded me like, Hey, try to not see your little room at this hostel as a literal physical waiting room or as this period of time as a, uh, metaphorical waiting room, you know, um, try to be patient. Don't be afraid to wait. Don't be afraid of this process, but also, um, be intentional. And I think maybe that's part of the answer to this, this question of when is patience a virtue and when is 
being a mover and a shaker, a go-getter of virtue, you know, or are they mutually exclusive? And I, I don't think so. Hmm. And I think, I think part of the, the, the answer to that riddle is, is intentionality. And, and to say like, wherever I am, and we talked about this last week, and I want to, I actually want to hear more from you, Aaron, because you're kind of the, you kind of coined this idea for me of the, of the waiting room, the universe's waiting room. Yeah. You know, the answer to the riddle is, 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 is intentionality wherever you are, you know, make the most of it and not, but not in a restless way. I, I mean, I think making the most of things from a place of, of, to use my Spanish friends, uh, tranquility to do it from a place of tranquility and restfulness and free and sort of a sense of freedom that you, you're not forced or coerced to be or do certain things in certain situations, but just to use your own discernment and wisdom, uh, to make the most of, of every situation. What do you, what do you think about that? Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're asking me these questions and I'm, I'm happy to expand upon that. So my, that philosophy actually ties to stoicism and in stoicism, there's two fundamental rules. Um, and, and, and one of is, is that there are things in life that you can control and there are things in your life that you cannot control. And every, every situation that you fall into in this world abides by that set of rules. You can control these variables or you cannot control these variables, you know, and maybe you have to think about it a little bit and be like, okay, that's kind of out of my, you know, I can't control this, this COVID. I can't control, you know, what's going on at work. I can't, I can't control how other people behave, right? Like that's also a very fundamental one that I've learned this year is like you cannot control how other people can behave. You can control how you react to that behavior. That is something that is always within your control. You can't, you know, someone will yell at you. Do you yell it back at them or do you smile and move on? That's entirely up to you. So I think that this ties into patience in the sense that once you have figured out that you are in a situation that is beyond your control, right? You start mentally crossing those things off the list. Okay. I can't do this. I can't do that. I can't change this. Can't, you know, you just mentally, you start, uh, imagine there's like a huge chalkboard and you just start bucketing all the things that are out of your control into one bucket. You're like out of my control. Then you're left with the things that you can control. And using your example of being in that quarantine hostel for 10 days, do I have a laptop? Do I have the ability to make someone else laugh, right? And all of that requires a certain level of inner patience because on one hand, you're like, man, I, 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 I really want to be at a Broadway show right now, right? And you're, you're, you're dying for it. You're, you're dying and your impatience is starting to overtake you, right? Like your, 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 your impulse to, to get exactly what it is that you want is starting to drive you nuts. But it's only going to drive you crazier because the more you focus on what it is that you can't have or can't be doing, the crazier you become. So you need to develop patience and be like, all right. I have acceptance and patience that I can't have these things right now. It could even like a a classic example I get a lot is like, oh man, I want a girlfriend. I want a boyfriend. I want a girlfriend. I want a boyfriend. And they just obsess, like they obsess about it instead of just saying, all right, 
you know, it, I've done a, I've done a bit of searching. That's a little bit out of my control right now. What else could I be doing with myself that is within my control? That's actually the solution. The solution to all of this stuff is bucketing the things that are not in your control and then start focusing on the things that are in your control. And that does, and that does require patience because you're, you're realizing I can't have a girlfriend right now. I can't have a boyfriend right now or whatever it is that you want. And you're developing the patience that that's, you're not ready for that, or you're not meant to have that right now, for whatever reason, the universe is just giving you that brick wall. And now you're starting to cultivate the tools that are currently in your possession. To, to make value and to make meaning. Yeah. Thanks for explaining that. And, and, and on it again, just thanks for sh- like encouraging me and kind of like teaching me through that idea, because it's just really helpful for me where I'm at in my life right now. Um, and it does not come easily for me. Um, I did think of the, uh, the serenity prayer as you were talking and I don't actually, I don't know if that's what it's called, but, and so I'm probably going to butcher this. You may have to Google it, but there's a prayer. I think it's a called the serenity prayer where it's like, you have, you're praying uh, to God or the universe or the higher, a higher power for courage to change the things that you can change. And then like a sense of freedom. I can't remember the word they use to kind of like let the things go that you can't change. Um, And then, and then the third thing is wisdom to know the difference. And that's the, I think that's the line that kind of captures my attention the most is that wisdom piece. How do you know the difference? And I think that my experience in learning when patience is a virtue and when to be a go-getter, it all comes down to the battle for patience or for wisdom. And, and it's like, again, I'm a Bible guy, right? So like from a Bible standpoint, like folly, like the book of Proverbs, like wisdom and folly are personified as two, two women actually, who are trying to, you know, wisdom calls to this young man and, and folly seduces the young man. Right. And he's like, which path is he going to go down? Right. And I think folly, like, like weeds in a, in a, in a garden, um, just spring up in our hearts and in our minds so naturally. Um, and so we don't really naturally know the difference, you know, between things that we can change and things that we can't. So wisdom is like the great, it's the great pursuit. You know, it is the, in some ways it's kind of the chief virtue because if you don't have, it's like the pitcher on a baseball diamond. If the ball's not pitched, there's no play, right? It's got it. Wisdom has to sort of set things in motion so that there's even a decision to make about what we can change and what we can't. So that's what interests me. I, I think the cultivation of wisdom, and I think that's connected to obviously patience, right? But I think it's also connected to some other themes that are important to me, like, you know, emotional health and, and just being as healthy as we can and being as wise as we can. Very, very well said. Um, I, I love it. And and this is this is where I, I think that any kind of philosophical slash, slash religious wisdom is so incredibly important. You know, I, I hate I hate that we have this tendency in modern era to oh religion and all this stuff makes you weak. I'm like, no, it doesn't. It has all of these all of these really valuable nuggets. And I I, I you know to kind of add on to what you're saying. You know, I, I from time to time suffered from a lot of anxiety in my life. And when I when I say anxiety, I mean waking up at around usually around three o'clock in the morning is when most anxiety sufferers wake up and just 
hey, just staring at the ceiling for two hours, you know, just worrying about things. And I'm going to give you a, like a way, like a, a very concrete example of how to kind of manage anxiety. If you've ever filled out a form or a piece of paperwork, like let's say you get an email saying you need to fill out this form and this happens to all of us, right? It could be anything, it could be, you know, filing for a passport. It could be, you know, anything, a mortgage, whatever, right? One of the thing, one of the mistakes I used to make is that I would fill out the form and then send it off and then I would start worrying about it. I'd be like, oh, did I make a mistake? Did I uh, put the right number here? Uh, what if that my handwriting was a little sloppy? Oh no, this and that. And I filled out the form, but then it came with all the baggage of like a million things that could have gone wrong with that form. But then I just said to myself, once you physically take that form and put it in the mailbox, or once you click submit, it's over, it's done with. And if there is a mistake, let's imagine the worst case scenario. Well, worst case scenario, I get a little email saying, hey, would you mind filling that out again? Okay, no problem. That's the worst case scenario is that you will just be told to probably do something again. You know, it's, it's really rare that we're going before the Supreme Court and everything has to be perfect, right? Like there, there are moments like that in our life. But for most of us, we're not going before the Supreme Court where every little T has to be dotted. And that's, that's a great way of combating anxiety is like, I did everything that I was supposed to do to the best of my ability. And now I'm going to go to bed and I'm not really going to think about it all too much. And, and I think that our anxiety tricks us into doing things and worrying about things that are beyond our control. And all we're doing is is eating at ourselves. Like nothing good is coming from this at all. Like I, I you know, like like I was speaking to someone a few pot, you know, a therapist a few podcast episodes ago, and she was like, you know, worry worry does not help anybody. Like your worry, it does not translate into anything that is beneficial. And I'm like, yes, like just worrying about it does not help. If there's something more that you can do, then do that thing. But the worrying actually is of no value whatsoever. At the risk of alienating people by quoting the Bible, um, I'm going to quote the Bible. <laughs> heck yeah, heck yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's a couple of things that come to mind. I, I, I think that there's humor in the teachings of Jesus. Actually, I think there's humor sprinkled throughout the, the scripture because, you know, I think that the, the writers of the Bible were, were, were trying to engage people. And, and part of the way that they did that was through humor. And I think there's a section in the gospels where, where Jesus talks about, you know, why do you worry, you know, and, and there, there's some great passages I would recommend, you know, Matthew chapter six, um, which is really beautiful passage about the, how God cares for the the grass and the flowers and the, and, and, and the, and kind of nature, like the birds. And if he's going to care for all these things that are kind of, kind of small and kind of unimportant in a way, right is how how much more will he care for you but there's one part where it's like and who of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life you know or like yeah i love that beautiful you know yeah isn't that beautiful like (laughs) by being anxious you can't add a you know a cubit a cubit to your height you can't turn one hair 
from black to gray or black to white. I mean, he says these things and it's just some kind of amazing. And there's another line in, in the Psalms, you know, um, Psalm one, one twenty seven, um, which is a, a beautiful short kind of meditation on God on sort of the care of God, you know, upon us. And, and it says like, you know, um, you, you eat the bread of anxious toil. I love that line. It's poetic. It's like you, you, you stay up late, you wake up early and you eat the bread of anxious toil. And, and what good does a dull that do to you? And, and it talks about how, like, if God's not sort of, you know, in kind of in all that, you know, and like, you know, sort of like, uh, guarding the city and, and watching over this process. Like it's all, you know, going to end. Um, it's not, it's not worth, you know, you're just, you're just worrying. Right. Um, and I, and I, I to add to your point about the 3am stuff, like I, it's, things are so intense in the middle of the night, you know, and, and you wake up and it's like something that's so small, a pebble, kind of a metaphorical pebble in your shoe, becomes this just overwhelming boulder of anxiety, you know, and it's not fair. <laughs> and and I, I, I like your worst case scenario thing. I've also heard, um, I've also heard people talk about the seven second rule, which is like, you know, you, you go to a party or something. I mean, not right now because it's COVID, right? But normally, <laughs> normally, normally you go to a party and you meet people and you're like, and you go and you have fun and you meet people and you drink and you, you stay up late and then you go home. Right. But on a tax in a taxi or, uh, by, by, uh, MTA and you, and you wake up the next morning and you have not necessarily a hangover, but kind of an emotional hangover. And you're like, gosh, I can't believe I said that. And I did that and blah, blah, blah. And you have all these like little regrets. Right. And the seven second rule is you only worry about it for seven seconds. You let yourself worry about it for seven seconds. And then you stop worrying about it. And it's, it's, it's hard to turn that switch on and off, but uh, I think it's kind of funny and, and, and honestly kind of helpful because some of those things can, can, uh, can really get to you. Yes. And I think um, another great piece of advice that I read somewhere was like, you know, nothing really good comes at night. Just go to bed. <laughs> and you know, I, I I have to thank my mom quite a bit. Um, my mom was a big bedtime person, and I used to want to stay up late and watch like South Park and wrestling and all this other stuff. And it's like, I, I you know, we got we got into these huge art. She was like a hard like eight thirty is when you're going to bed, and. Now I kind of try and put myself to bed as early as humanly possible because. I noticed that the quality of my thinking really starts to go downhill past 10 o'clock. I'm going to be on, like, I noticed the things, like I noticed during the day I'm, I'm reading, you know, books. I'm like actually, you know, making podcasts. I'm, I'm engaged in much more substantive conversation, much more. And then, you know, at 1130, when I'm laying in my bed with the phone, like that's the worst thing is having the phone in the bed with you. You really start Googling like conspiracy things and just your, your quality and, and caliber of thinking really goes down a stupid rabbit hole of nonsense. I, I have friends that work at night. I get it, you know, but if you can just go to bed at night and like that, that, that is the, the best thing that you can do is just realize that like, I, I think that all of this, um, I think actually the artificial light is actually a producer of, of anxiety because I think in previous times, 
you know, when it became night, you couldn't read anymore. It was just like, all right, it's time to just go to bed. That's the end of the day. Like the end of the day is over. But once we came up with artificial light, now we just opened the door to like staying up all night and worrying about stuff and reading conspiracy conspiracy theories. I definitely uh, encourage people to be cautious with their phones, you know, especially around bedtime. Um, there was like a, again, I'm going to butcher this because my memory is just, my brain is just like full of useless information but um i think that uh, there's not on a, truth island on truth island we'll make use of it <laughs> dude, <I'll, laughs> yes so nothing uh, gets wasted a, here man we, you yeah, know. dude i love that i love that it's so encouraging yeah there was a like one of those little comic like comic boxes in the new yorker magazine you know when you're flipping through the new yorker there's all those little like comic strip things um cartoons right and and one of them was like this guy lying in bed and he's like yes i have two more hours to like look at my phone and kind of like ruin tomorrow you know like like i have time to get on youtube and, and and look at videos i don't really care about and and just wake up and then therefore wake up you know really tired in the morning and 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 less than adequate for work um, so yeah, I definitely, um, support your mom in this whole virtues of bedtime, you know, and it's just beautiful to like, have like a, um, kind of a routine, like a, a, a ritual, if you will, you know, at the end of the day where it's like, I, I had a girlfriend once who, you know, she took a shower at the end of every day. She's like, I'm just going to wash, wash today off, you know? And so she's like, you know, she took her shower and, um, and then she goes to bed and like, there's, there's a beauty, like sometimes day days are like really, really hard. And like, they're like a battleground and it could be like just an, an internal battleground where you just feel like really tired because you've just been like, you know, fighting yourself all day, you know, or doubting yourself or, or I don't know, there could be any number of reasons, almost infinite reasons that a day is hard. Right. And it's just like, again sorry about all the god my god language but it's like it's god's gift the bedtime is like god's gift it's like hey you can actually like shut the hatch like drop (laughs) (laughs) drop the drop the grenade inside the army tank (laughs) shut the hatch and like the day's over like that day's done like like we can move on no, I, I think I think that's very true that that we're meant to shut down. We we are absolute we're not robots. We're meant to shut down and call it a day. You know, and, and I love that phrase, call it a day. Um, so I think some great techniques and you know, one technique I I've I should actually get more into this and I but I've heard wonderful success stories is journaling. And I, I've heard that that keeping it and let's make it a daytime journal, right? Maybe you should not be journaling at night when your anxiety is ultra high. I think journaling is a way of figuring out what exactly it is that you want to get out of life because it's an inner monologue that's happening with yourself. And it takes patience, right? And you're not on the first journal entry, you're not going to be able to to figure it out. And what's what's interesting is that you actually, if you look, a lot of like great historic figures, like our founding fathers or whoever, a lot of them kept journals, right? And it's not this like super girly thing. Like it, it's like, there's actually a lot of really powerful figures in our history that actually kept journals. And you'll see that they're filled with doubt and dread and, and you know, anxiety, like all the, all the normal gambit of emotions that we feel. But I think that this process of journaling allows you to figure out 
what it is that I really want. And I think that taking abstract ideas and feelings and writing them down forces them into the realm of the concrete. And I think, I think a lot of our impatience comes from the fact that we don't really know what it is that we want, right? So that, that, that kind of causes us to be highly impulsive because we're constantly traveling different places, running, running around because we never actually took the time to journal and figure out what the hell do I value? What exactly it is that I want? And this like podcast, I like that it's, it's kind of like a form of journaling. Like I'm able to actually figure out what exactly it is that I value and what are things that I want to get out of this life. And I think that's an incredibly helpful thing to do. And it takes patience. It, it, takes, it takes patience to do that. But I realize that I, I have a lot more answers sitting in my apartment talking with people or, or talking amongst myself than I ever did just running to like Whole Foods and, and buying shit that I don't need. You actually mentioned that to me uh, last week or the week before that, like your social life has actually picked up in um, like this year <laughs> because of Zoom and, and, and the connectivity of the of, of, of the Internet, I guess. I think that's great. And, and honestly, this podcast has been great for me, too. It came at a really good time basically this year for me because it's given me the opportunity to talk to you. I've really enjoyed our conversations, you know, and it's been a form of kind of process for me and even kind of therapy for me, you know, to, to, to do this kind of weekly. And I've, I've also found a lot of comfort in journaling this year. I've kept a journal really probably the most faithfully I've ever kept a journal in my life um, this year. And it's interesting. I kind of started in, um, in February. So I kind of, I had a few, a few entries in January, but like, I, I have not missed a day since like, early to mid February. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be a year in February that I've kept a journal every, you know, something every day. Right. And sometimes it is short, right. Sometimes it is at the end of the day, but you're right. Like it's nice to actually journal throughout the day and add things and, and make it personal. I mean, at mine's combination of things, it's, it's very, it's, it's a focus on, you know, kind of, uh, it's kind of re- repertorial in the sense of like, okay, what's going on reporting what's happening today. You know, it, it includes some prayers. It's, uh, it's a way of processing, you know, like, Hey, I have this decision to make, or this, you know, this person in my life, that's difficult, you know, and just kind of like kind of using that paper, the pen and paper to kind of like process and kind of think through some, some more, you know, difficult situations. Um, I, I, I forgive me if, if, if this is too much of a backtrack, but it kind of ties into our conversation today. And I, I kind of wanted to ask you about it because you mentioned it uh, earlier, you know, speaking of like prayer, like a lot of people have prayed for this year to end. And, um, you know, we're, we're about, we're about all the way about through it, you know, we're yeah, what, two, two pray- weeks. Yeah. Our prayers are going to be answered in three weeks. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Whether, <laughs> whether you pray, whether you pray that or not, it's coming, you know? Yeah. And so like, I, I've heard people say that too. And actually, this has actually been a really fruitful year, you know, kind of reflecting on a lot of this stuff, the podcast, the journaling, and some of the, the adventures and the, the journey that I've been on this year. It's actually been a, and it sounds like it's been really fruitful for you in some ways too. I'm not saying it's been easy, but like there's been a, a fruitfulness there. And so I guess I just want to hear your thoughts, like maybe a couple things, like why shouldn't people be praying for this year to end? You know, I mean, I think that's my main question. Okay, um, we're getting into some good stuff right now. Okay, 
this is going to be very grim. Um, and hear me out on this one, but there's never really a guarantee of tomorrow. <laughs> and 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 that's that's something that we we kind of have to be really aware of is like never ever ever pray for a future that may not be. That's a huge mistake right off the bat. I, I'll tell you, man, when I was a kid, I always I had one number in the back of my head when I was going through rough times. 18. 18, 18. When I turn 18, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, when I turn 18, I'm going to do that. I'm going to have a blah, blah, blah. I'm going to have a driver's license, 18, eight, right? And basically what I was doing is I was praying for a future that never actually came to be. Because when I was 18, I actually thought a lot differently about the world and I was a lot more mature and, and 18 was a lot more different than I thought it would be when I was 14. So right off the bat, people think 2021 vaccine, happiness, bar, all like you don't know what exactly is going to be waiting for you at the end of that tunnel. And time is our most precious commodity. It really, as I get older, it's not money. It's really time. Time is the most precious thing. And it's the most finite resource that we really have is time because we all die eventually. And we keep thinking that when I get, when I finish this degree, when I turn 18, when 2020 ends, I'm going to be happy. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's not how life works. You, you don't get happy. Like, just waiting, just waiting for time to elapse is not going to bring you happiness. You will not just be magically transported into a happier, more euphoric state of being just because it's 2021. That is a huge mistake. The way that you, uh, you know, I like what Jordan Peterson says in that happiness is a byproduct of doing something else. So the only way that you can actually get happy is doing stuff in the present, doing stuff in the present, podcasting, journaling, volunteering, help, tutoring, helping somebody out, reading, so exercising. So doing things in the present is actually what's making that future possible. I, I love religion and all, but I think one misinterpretation is, is that like, I, I like that in many respects, Judaism is a religion of action in the sense that like, you don't just, you, you pray to God in Judaism, you, you pray to Hashem and you say, please Hashem. But then the very next second, you're actually taking action to make sure that that thing is coming true. And that's, that's kind of the, um, the understanding that I have is that you, you can pray, you can ask, you can have that moment, but then in the very next second, you're taking the action to make that reality come to fruition. And I think that that's a, a much healthier way of, of looking at the world where it's like, okay, I want that better tomorrow, but that better tomorrow is only going to come about by the actions of today. I mean, what you're talking about is really profound. And I, I feel like I'm just, I mean, even in that, that was beautiful, by the way. Thank you for that. I, I feel like even in that, your, your, your statements there, like we're just scratching the surface of a pretty deep philosophical um, question and reflection. It's Advent season in the Christian calendar right now, which is like the four weeks leading up to Christmas. And Advent is, is just a, a Latin derivative for you know, the coming, you know, so like, 
you know, Christmas celebrates the coming of, of, of Christ, you know, Jesus. And in this season, it's like people are reminded to sort of wait. It's kind of the equivalent. It's like the Christmas equivalent of Lent. So, you know, you know, we don't have like, like Catholics, you know, they don't have the same, like don't eat fish kind of thing on or fish, fish on Fridays or whatever thing, you know, there's not, there's not the same rules. Um, but there's an emphasis on waiting and watching and, 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 and patience, I think, because like, you know, from the Christian calendar perspective, there were like hundreds of years between the end of what we call the old Testament, you know? Mm. So, so the last sort of prophetic utterance of that era, you know, and that was like Ezra and Nehemiah coming back to Jerusalem from their captivity and their exile and rebuilding the walls and the temple of Jerusalem and the prophets who spoke at that time. I think one of them was Zechariah. And so those were like kind of the last, and then I think Malachi, I guess technically Malachi would be the last um, prophetic. And then there were hundreds of years, what would people call like the prophetic silence, you know, of sort of the intertestamental period. And there's books from that period that are um, there by, by most Christians wouldn't be considered like Bible, you know, in the same sense of like the old and new Testament, but, but for the most part, sort of, it seemed like God was silent, you know, and um, from the kind of, from the Christian perspective. And then all of a sudden, you know, 400 years later, um, there's this announcement to, you know, the Virgin Mary that she's going to have a child and the child is going to be Jesus and he's going to be the, the Messiah, you know, Christ. And so there's a lot of waiting and then, and then Christ is born and then he's silent for 30 years in which he's a carpenter, you know? <laughs> and, and so we have stories from the birth of Jesus and, and then it skips 30 years into his ministry, you know? And then, and then he starts his ministry with baptism. He gets baptized by John the Baptist. And then he goes into the wilderness, you know, for 40 days. And then, um, you know, so it's just like, they, you know, I think, and this is true for Judaism. I mean, Abraham had to wait long, a long time to have his child and for God's promise to be fulfilled. There's so much waiting and watching. And I think this season it's called Advent is a, is a great reminder of that spiritual theme of, um, of waiting. And, and I, I love what you said, like there isn't, we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. We don't know this future that we sort of imagine. I love the, the, this, what you said about when you were a kid and wanting to be 18. And then when you got to be 18, like your priorities were different and your interests were different. And, um, you know, so we can take all the themes of today, like, you know, the, the themes of anxiety and not worrying and letting things go and, 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 um, and cultivating patience as a virtue, but also knowing when to, you know, seize the day. And, um, and I think my takeaway is like, we don't have to be afraid of, of the long game. Um, and it's so hard to hear that because everything and every millennial bone of my body is like, no, I have to seize the good life now. And, um, and so I'm, 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 not, I'm, I'm at the front of this line. You know, if this is a line of like wanting to learn how to live a different kind of life, and embrace a kind of different kind of perspective. If God can take his time in that way, you know, with sort of redemptive history, mm. um, then, then we can take our time too. Thank you. And, and thank you for um, sharing the Christian perspective. I, I think that, that that's also interesting. And, you know, I want to, I want to I, I, I say that like, you know, even if we look at, let's say those 
interim years of the Bible or, or, or so forth. I think that the universe has a wonderful way of not letting us move forward when it doesn't want us to move forward, right? It, like we don't even have to worry about it. Like, like if you send out 500 resumes or you do whatever and the universe is just like, uh-uh, it ain't happening, then that's okay. I think that's a part of like the waiting period of like, all right, the, the next chapter isn't ready to begin yet. I do think that there might be some agency, like let's say you've run across a, a brick wall that the, um, the universe has created for you. I think that there is a bit of agency that you can take at that brick wall and say, all right, I, clearly I can't move forward. The next saga, the next chapter has not opened up. How, how can I make this present moment, this brick wall, the best darn brick wall even possible? And like, I'll even give you an example of a real brick wall. Um, in 1989, there was something called the Berlin Wall. And it didn't come down for a long time, but people put graffiti on there and they decorated it and they put like inspirational messages and all this other stuff. And that's an example of like, let's have some festivity and let's have something wonderful being created while we're waiting. And that's that's what I, I, I think is we can kind of mix into this. So even, even if we're waiting, you know, in most, in, in both in both Judaism and Christianity, you you have this idea of a messiah coming back right in christianity it's the second coming in judaism it's uh a different messiah right and fine fair enough those are the rules of the game but what we do in that waiting period is totally up to us and there's a lot there's a lot more agency and there's a lot more freedom that we have than than than, than we're led to believe i think i think i think you know, one one of the um doc, one of the things that I am not really liking, um, and I have to blame Sam Harris for this, is this idea that we don't have free will, right? He's a huge proponent of like we have no free will, and I'm like, you could not be more wrong about that. Yes, there are brick walls. Y yes, th there are. You know, COVID is a total brick wall. There are brick walls surrounding us on every corner. But what you do within those brick walls is amazing. The things that you can accomplish in, 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 in a small area. Like there, there, there have been people, Sam, that have been in small prison cells and they've come up with elaborate workout routines, bodies of, of, of Olympic build, you know, they have like, like bodies that would win awards and they were able to work out in a small cell and, and just create a workout. Like the things that you can do in a confined area, there's no shortage of things. And if you have Wi-Fi, if you have a library card, no, no matter how much life is a waiting game, you always have that opportunity to seize that present moment Beautiful, man. And I love the, the example of the Berlin Wall, you know, how they, they created uh, beauty, they cultivated beauty while they were waiting, you know, for this wall to fall. I've noticed that in Colombia, every, literally every surface is covered with, with graffiti and paint and color, and it's vivid and vibrant and beautiful. It's the same in Haiti. I was in Haiti in 2017. And um, there's color everywhere. I think we we sort of think that these places are like um, mired in civil war and economic unrest and and stuff like that. And and sometimes that that's true. But like and that, and that for some reason that they're drab or like you know really depressed places. And maybe that's true sometimes too. But like 
my experience of these, these countries, um, in the Caribbean and Latin America is that they're just like, they're, they're colorful, you know, they're really colorful and beautiful. And people have taken the the time to, um, cultivate beauty, you know? And I, I, I think for me, I've had to overcome some fatalism, you know, you've talked about tomorrow on this podcast and it's like, we don't know what will, tomorrow will bring. And so, but sometimes I thought I did. Sometimes I thought I did know what the future was. You know, I have a strong sense of destiny. I, I, I tried to, you know, date this, this girl in, in 2012, I think it was, um, I was 24, you know, and she was, we'd gone to college together and I just, I ignored, you know, kind of yellow flags and red flags about the relationship. And even her kind of telling me like, you know, I'm not really interested, like you're a nice guy, but I'm not interested because I thought I sort of knew the future. I sort of had this sense of destiny, like God, God had sort of like shown me this special insight where I was supposed to be with this girl. And I prayed to God for guidance. It was like, no, at the end of the day, like I, I either I heard God's voice wrong or, or I was just completely deluded. I think I was just deluded. I think I was just mistaken about how life works. We have agency. We have more agency than we think always, I think. And, um, and so I've struggled as a, you know, as a Christian and in Christian theology, there's a strong emphasis on what's called the providence of God, you know? And it's like that there's a plan, everything happens for a reason. And God's, God's sovereign over the affairs of the world and over the affairs of your life and I, I still believe that God, there's a plan and God is, you know, in control. But I think as I've gotten older, my, my belief in the, the doctrine of human agency has only increased. And so I'll just say one more thing, which is that, you know, when you, I feel like you almost preached to me. And I mean that as a compliment, it was kind of like a sermon, my COVID sermon from Pastor, <laughs> Pastor Aaron. Um, <laughs> You were kind of like, you know, you've got to find, you've got to bloom where you're planted. You got to find the meaning in this, in this time, time frame, right. You know? And so you were like, there's probably some, you know, uh, grandma, you know, that, that, that you can, some old lady that, you know, at your hostel or in your environment that you can talk to and, 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 and glean from, you know, and, and, and be a blessing to, you know, there's, you know, just as an example, like somebody that you kind of wouldn't expect, you know, and there was, you know, there was, there's always more, there are always more opportunities and more agency than you think. And, and in a way also less just because of our, fi- our finiteness where we're limited. Um, and I don't know how to express that because it sounds like I'm saying two things, but I'm not really, I guess I'm just saying we have more and less than we think uh, at the same time, I guess. Yes, Sam. I, I think I think our final takeaway is going to be this. If you ever find yourself sitting at a red light, take a moment and really enjoy the music coming from the radio. Maybe take a little look out your window, enjoy the scenery, take a deep breath, and just relax and just really savor what's going on in that moment, knowing you cannot press the gas right now. And then as soon as it turns green, go ahead and keep on driving, but don't worry about it. Sam, thank you so much for being on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Aaron. This concludes the 95th episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.